Hey guys, welcome. You're listening to the Educationally Relevant Podcast hosted by me, Latori West. I am a former middle school teacher turned current instructional specialist, and I'm here to talk, chat, and discuss all things education. As teachers, there are so many things, challenges, and situations that we encounter daily that I just wanted to create a platform where we educators and parents can have true dialogue and real conversations. We all know that as educators and parents, we have so many things to speak on. So sit back, relax, and let's get to it. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Educationally Relevant Podcast. Today, we're going to take a look at data-driven instruction and how we as educators can get the most bang for our book when we're looking at data and being intentional about our next steps following data analysis. So we're going to talk about this from the teacher perspective. Um, And anytime you think about data, you can look at it from a broad spectrum because throughout the educational arena you will hear over and over again that data is the key to increase student achievement there have been studies conducted at the federal state and local levels to prove that educators who are using data to drive their instructional practices methods and strategies have greater impact than those who don't use data As an educator myself, I can say with certainty that using data to drive all decisions and instruction is what is needed to ensure that our students are getting the best quality education, as well as ensuring that they are improving academically. When data is implemented well, it has the power to dramatically improve student performance. And that is something that I just stated, but I just wanted to reiterate that, that making sure that data driven instruction is used has the power to transform students acquisition of knowledge as well as teachers teaching practices as an educator sometimes we can get in the habit of just assigning students arbitrary work that has no meaning and has nothing to do with addressing standards or their areas of weakness Making sure that the instruction that we are giving to students is data-driven, it is a process. This is not something that just happens overnight. It is something that has to be nurtured and cultivated within a school, within a classroom, within a community. And it only costs the educators some additional time to assess their students. And I know that time is something that we don't have a lot of. But again, if we want to make sure that we are doing the right work, for the right reasons, then we have to make sure that we include time to assess our students and analyze the data and make some decisions based off that. Going back to my formative years, when I was in elementary, middle, and high school, I can remember that there were many times where the work that I was given as a student was just to be compliant, and it was really just busy work. A lot of the work that was assigned was that basic DOK level one work. It was basic recall. I can answer those questions in my sleep. Even though the work was basic recall, the teacher would assign it. And after it was completed and graded, nothing else seemed to ever be done with it. It just seemed like we went from one topic to the next to the next. And there were little connections made to the work. Well, there were a few times where... If majority of the class got something wrong where there was actual action steps taken 
to improve those areas of weakness. It just seemed to be a common thing throughout most of my high school career that nothing was done with the data that was collected from the assignments that were assigned to the students. It wasn't until I became a teacher myself back in the mid, back in about 2013, 2012, that I began to understand the power of assessment and of data as a teacher. One thing that I can say is that it is extremely important that I consistently, and when I say consistently, I mean consistently. That means day in and day out, that I'm consistently monitoring and assessing my students to ensure that they are retaining the information that is being presented to them. As an educator, one of the worst things that can happen is that we are going over work and providing students with lectures and modeling and guided practice and independent practice. And we do all of this day in and day out and we assess these students and it's like they've learned nothing. That's the worst thing for us as educators. But again, one thing that will help that to help to ensure that what we're doing is meaningful and purposeful is to make sure that we are assessing our kids on a regular basis. We need to make sure that they are retaining the information. Um, Once my students are assessed, it becomes imperative for me to take that data and look at that data and process that data using the data analysis protocols to determine next steps in my teaching practices. That is to, again, once the data is collected, to take that data, look at it, determine whether or not I need to remediate, to enrich or accelerate my students. And if so, maybe I need to pull some small groups, you know, and have students have some peer tutors. I mean, all these things are part of our data analysis protocol. And when we come back, we're actually going to get into what we call the four fundamental building blocks of effective data instruction. Um, And this comes from the book, um, Data Driven Instruction. And then we're also going to talk about some common mistakes that will impede our implementation of data-driven instruction when we come back. So sit back, take this brief break, and we will be back. We're going to take a small break and we'll be right back for part two of the Educationally Relevant Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome back. We were talking about before the break data-driven instruction and what we could do in schools to improve our student achievement. And one thing that we could do is by making sure that we are using data to drive all of our instructional practices. Um, We're talking about the book Driven by Data. Um, In that particular book, they talk about four fundamental building blocks of an effective data-rich instruction. And those four building blocks or the principles, as we're going to call them, are assessment, analysis, action, and culture. In order for us to have schools and classrooms that are driven by data, the first thing we have to do is create rigorous interim assessment that provide meaningful data. This can't be your run-of-the-mill 15-question test, all multiple choice that really gives us 
no stock into what we're teaching and what our students are learning in our classrooms. These assessment needs to be, again, they need to be rigorous enough for us to be able to do a deep data analysis and a deep data dive to see what are next steps. Where are we going from here? That is the first principle or building block um, for effective data analysis instruction. Um, the next building block will be your analysis. After you've given your interim assessment, going back to examine the results of that assessment to identify the causes of both strengths and shortcomings. So it's not all about making sure that your students are getting it. It's if they do get it, what am I going to do to enrich? Because they got it and I don't need to spend a whole lot of time on it. Now I need to move them on to the next thing. But then you have to go back and look at, okay, so I have a population of kids who got it, but I also have kids who didn't get it. What am I going to do with these kids who didn't get it? How am I going to go back to ensure that I'm um, giving that instruction that is targeting their weakness or that area of shortcoming that they have? That's the second building block. Your third building block is going to be action. What action are you going to take? Take. You have, we have to make sure that we teach effectively what students most need to learn based on assessment results. We should not just be going back to say, oh, I think that they did poorly on this. We should know beyond a shadow of a doubt what it is based on our data analysis, what our students fell short on. And once we find out what it is that they fell short on, we then are to go back and teach that skill to make sure that our students get it. We need to make sure that we're teaching it in a manner that they understand. If we taught it one way the first time and they didn't get it, we need to come up with another way to reteach it to make sure that students are attaining and acquiring that knowledge. That's the third building block. And our final building block is that culture, just to make sure that we are creating an environment in which data-driven instruction can survive and thrive. It is so important that as a school system that the entire school system is data driven it can't be just their isolated teachers uh, pockets of teachers here and there who understand the importance of data it has to be your culture has to it has to data has to be a living breathing machine within a school system in order for change to happen because if not then you're going to get into some of these mistakes that hinder improvement and that's what we're, we're now we're going to get into talking about those eight mistakes that hinder data-driven instruction and that keeps students from learning and teachers from teaching to their best to to their their potential you know just being the best teacher possible basically so when we're talking about mistakes these mistakes basically they just impede successful implementation of data-driven instruction in the classrooms. Schools that implement data-driven instruction effectively, they will avoid these common pitfalls. Um, number one, the inferior interim assessments. Uh, many schools fail to get results when they use interim assessments that are set too far below where students should be. Um, sometimes these assessments don't align to other required tests or they neglect to include open-ended questions. 
Open-ended questions help to build the rigor of assessments. It helps you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what it is that your students know. So these have to be included with assessments. And if not, it's going to be one of your pitfalls. A second pitfall is those secretive interim assessments. You don't want the classroom teacher to produce or come up with the test. This should be done from the district or district or school level. But even when it's done from that district or school level, the teacher should still have access to it once that test has been created well enough in advance so that they can know what it is they need to teach. It can't be because that's the only time it's useful when they're able to look at it and see what it is that they need to teach. Um, For these assessments to drive rigors, teacher must know the end goals before they plan instruction. So they have to begin with the end in mind. Uh, The third pitfall is infrequent assessments. It can't be just where you're giving an assessment every three or four months. Assessment needs to be frequent. It needs to be frequent enough so that we can get the needed information. Then it's that plain and simple. The fourth pitfall is curriculum assessment disconnect. And that is just where you have a common mistake that occurs where the curriculum does not match the content of the interim assessment. These assessment results have nothing to do with what happened in the classroom. You can't have a test of, let's just say, multiplication facts. And students have never covered multiplication facts. They've only ever done subtraction. Again, your assessment must match what has been covered in class in order for it to be an accurate depiction of what needs to be done and what your next steps are. Pitfall number five is delayed results. Interim assessments are useless unless they are graded and analyzed promptly so teachers can make adjustments in their classrooms. Again, we have to go ahead and grade those assessments and analyze that data in order to determine what our next steps are. If we don't know what our next steps are because we have not analyzed the data, then we are just teaching just to teach. There is no rhyme or reason to what we're doing in the classroom. And students, and and sometimes that leads to students being lost. And that is something that we do not want. And that is a common pitfall that you will see in classrooms or in school system where the data analysis is not analyzed promptly and in a timely manner. Pitfall number six is separation of teaching and analysis. Um, This problem occurs when teachers hand over the data analysis to a data team. They don't do it themselves. In order for teachers to really own what is going on in their classroom, they need to analyze the results themselves so that they can take ownership over the process. When a teacher has a hands-off approach, they do not own it. They do not connect with it. And again, it's just as bad as having those delayed results because it's almost like it's non-existent. They don't really care about it. They're just teaching just to teach, which is what we do not want. There needs to be, again, a rhyme and a reason to everything that we do. Pitfall number four, I'm sorry, number seven, is ineffective follow-up. One serious shortcoming is when there is only a vague commitment to make adjustments after analyzing the results. If there is no specific plan for improvement that is scheduled to happen at a specific specific time, no real change will be made. 
So again, in order for us to see change and to see progress, there has to be a plan in place that is going to help our students to perform. And if that plan is not in place, then again, a plan without follow through is just a dream. Again, you have to have follow through in order for the plan to actually work. And our last pitfall and mistake is not making time for data. There have been times where I can remember where it was just, I would get, tests were given. And after I gave the test, it was on to the next topic. That is a no-no. That is a no-go. That's not going to work in today's time. Not when we're trying to make sure that student achievement is at its highest. Some schools fail to make time for assessments, data analysis, and follow-up. And we do know that schools are so busy. Um, They're busy places as if no time has been set aside in the calendar to make data-driven improvements a priority. And if that is the case, then data-driven instruction just simply won't happen. There has to be time carved out, if not weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly, to analyze the data that is collected to drive our instructional practices. Assessment and data-driven instruction is imperative to making sure that as schools, we are doing the right work. We need to make sure that we are one, providing assessments for our students and our teachers, that we are analyzing the data, that once that data is analyzed, we have an action plan, and that that action plan helps to breed the culture of the school as a culture of one that is data-driven beyond fault i thank you guys so much for tuning in to this podcast about data-driven instruction until next time you guys be be real take it easy thanks Thanks for listening to the Educationally Relevant Podcast. Be sure to check out Educationally Relevant on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Educationally Relevant and emailing me at educationallyrelevant at gmail.com as well as listening on all streaming platforms. Don't forget to join me next week for another great episode. Thanks for listening. It's been real. You guys have a great one.